Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update, with Janet Anderson and Stephanie Vandenberg, in partnership with justiceinfo.net. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. So, where's your emergency news klaxon when you need it? I think I think, I think I have to do it. Yeah, I mean, really, we are a bit late because we're now recording on Sunday and the big news that we're going to be discussed actually came out uh, on Friday. And uh, I thought, in fact, I could start with the song Tradition from Fiddler on the Roof, because as is customary at the International Criminal Court, we got the usual Friday late afternoon drop of a piece of news. And this is what they dropped. Today, 17th of March 2023, the International Criminal Court has issued two warrants of arrest in the Ukraine situation for Vladimir Putin, President of the Russian Federation, and for Maria Vovabelova, Commissioner of the Russian President for Children's Rights, for the alleged war crimes of deportation of children from Ukrainian occupied territories into the Russian Federation. It is forbidden by international law for occupied powers to transfer civilians from the territory they live in to other territories. Children enjoy special protection under the Geneva Convention. The contents of the warrants are secret in order to protect victims. The ICC attaches great importance to the protection of victims, especially children. Nevertheless, the judges of the chamber dealing with this case decided to make the existence of the worms public in the interest of justice and to prevent the commission of future crimes. Yeah, so that's the ICC president, uh, Piotr Hovmanski, saying that judges have approved arrest warrants against two individuals, Vladimir Putin, a Russian president, and Maria Lvova-Belova. She is the children ombudsman slash ombudsperson. Anyway, this lady, uh, they've dro- dropped arrest warrants. And and what are the charges? The charges are war crimes, uh, the transfer of population, and the press release uh, highlighted that they're specifically looking at the transfer of children. Although, has to be said, an expert noted that war crimes, the population transfer is a crime in general, and it doesn't necessarily specifically mention children. But obviously, the fact that it is children uh, makes it more clear that they're civilians and not com- people involved in combat. I've seen a lot of figures floating around. They didn't come out of the ICC, but out of uh, different stories. So maybe, I mean, if you could give some context to this. And you've looked at it before, haven't you, Steph? You already did this, uh, a reporter into this alleged crime last year. So tell us all about it. Well, I can't give you exact figures. I don't think anybody can. And of course, the ICC was very careful not to mention any figures. Uh, what we do know is that since February last year, after Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, there were, the ICC launched this investigation in March. There is a huge influx of money and cooperation and manpower to help the ICC. And Khan had already said that he would look uh, at crimes against women and children. It's one of the focal points of his reign as, as prosecutor. He does that in all situations. But after the arrest warrants dropped, Khan said in a statement, quote, we also underlined in our application that most acts in this pattern of deportation were carried out in the context of the acts of aggression committed by the Russian military forces against the sovereignty and the territorial integrity of Ukraine, which began in 2014. 
Now, I think that was really interesting that he put it in that context. I'm sure we'll come back to that uh, after we've heard some different reaction that was uh, recorded just uh, over the last uh, 24 hours or so. But the idea that they're saying that th- this is linked to the bigger picture. But I mean, we were actually expecting, weren't we, because of all of this effort, we were expecting potentially at least some, some arrest warrants at, at some point. Absolutely. And there were rumors swirling around that something was bound to happen. We were trying at Reuters to get multiple sources to tell us the same thing. It was kind of known in the beginning of the week that we expected something to happen fairly soon. And of course, in the ICC, what is the next step after you open an investigation is to apply for arrest warrants. So we didn't know if we would have the prosecutor saying, listen, I applied for these arrest warrants, or if we would have the judges come out and say, here's the arrest warrant. But we were expecting something. Then the question was, which case will they focus on? And we looked before and we kind of narrowed it down. Like, what are the things they will focus on? Maybe deportation of children or forcible transfer of children. And we also thought that maybe there would be something about the attack of uh, civilian infrastructure. But maybe that's something that's still to come. But those are the things that were swirling around that might happen. And and I think that was partly also because that was kind of in the air, wasn't it? I mean, didn't, didn't Khan already mention deportation of children? Absolutely. In September last year, he told the United Nations Security Council that he was investigating or focusing on these alleged illegal deportation of children from Ukraine. Um, But still, for ICC standards, this is a very quick turnaround and super fast arrest warrants. And also, I don't want to say remarkably for the ICC, because there's other heads of state that were uh, that had arrest warrants. But uh, this is going straight to the top, which is something, honestly, I didn't expect Khan to do immediately. So, So that was a surprise. It's not only straight to the top, it's straight to the top of um, a head of state of one of the more powerful countries in the world, uh, a member of the UN Security Council, one of the the P5 there. So, I mean, it's really, really top of the top. Absolutely. And he is he's the third sitting head of state to have an arrest warrant uh, of the ICC issued against him. But the other ones yeah, were Omar al-Bashir, the then president of Sudan, and uh, former Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi, who, of course, died before uh, this arrest warrant could be executed, and, and Bashir, who is still in prison in Sudan. So it is absolutely a rarity, but also not unheard of. Well, I spent a bit of time trying to get some reactions from uh, members of our community on Saturday. I found myself at a conference, the International Bar Association's War Crimes Committee annual conference. First time they'd had an in-person one for a few years. And in fact, at one point I was sitting behind a bald-headed man who did say hello to me but didn't give me an interview in the end. So Kareem Khan turned me down for the interview. He was there for, uh, for one of the sessions. But before I offer up a few of the excerpts of the people that I did manage to, um, to press to, to talk to me, I'd also called up uh, Mel O'Brien, who's a long-term friend of the podcast. She's a professor in Australia at the University of Western Australia, I think, and president of uh, the Genocide Scholars Association. She wasn't actually in The Hague. She was asleep at home when the news broke. But when she woke up, this is what she said was her reaction. Yeah, on Saturday, I was just running around the house going, oh my goodness, I can't believe this has happened. So I asked her, you know, what does she think that this latest move actually means? Well, obviously, you know, they're sending this message to say, Putin, we're watching you. Not only are we watching you, but we're investigating you and we know what you're doing. 
So we're not just looking at the commanders that are on the ground in Ukraine, but we're looking all the way to the top to you. So what essentially watch what you're doing because we're watching what you're doing. And I think that sometimes leaders, powerful leaders, especially powerful male leaders like Putin, think that nobody would dare challenge them. And that's what this is. It's challenging him. It's challenging his power. And it's challenging his capacity to carry out his power in the sense that, okay, admittedly, his ability to travel was already limited because of the many sanctions that have been brought against him from a lot of countries around the world. But this will cover even more countries that he can't travel to because then they would be obligated to arrest him. So it is a way of limiting his power. So I think that's quite significant. Mel helps kicks us off there with um, some reaction. I managed to do some other recordings of first reactions and thoughts at the IBA War Crimes Committee conference. I dragged people to what was unfortunately rather a noisy corridor. So really many apologies for bumps and clicks. Uh, I know this is a feature of asymmetrical haircuts. We get laughed at by by um, some people for our apologies. But I mean, honestly, we don't like putting out material that has bumps and clicks on it. And this stuff does. First of all, lucky for me, uh, Nadia Volkova, the director of the Ukrainian Legal Advisory Group, was there. Um, so I managed to get a first Ukrainian perspective. First reactions? Good. It's um, positive development. It's probably the first concrete step that's been taken ever since the conflict started back in 2014. It's very strong and powerful. What do you think about the the specificity of that specific crime? I mean, it is just one crime, but it is a very big crime. I think so. It's a big crime. It's very obvious. And also, it's quite straightforward in a chain of command, takes you right to the top. And then for a bit of the actual atmosphere of how people were feeling at the conference, I uh, managed to pull Shannon Raj Singh, one of the co-chairs of the conference, off to one side and asked her how it felt to be in the community just after this news was announced. What difference does it make, Kareem Khan, having pulled this particular rabbit out of his hat? It was quite a rabbit out of his hat. And I, you know, I will say that the, the timing on the eve of the war crimes conference was, uh, I said Kareem would get a check in the mail from our committee. Um, it was a, a powerful moment and made for certainly an exciting day today. And it did kind of resonate all day. I mean, there wasn't a specific focus on Ukraine. There was this kind of, the whole conference was really about where there are gaps in justice and where there isn't enough focus on places like Iran or the issues of what's going on in Afghanistan. But there was this real sense that this news made everybody feel that more was possible, that, that things could actually change. Absolutely. And I was kind of, uh, I couldn't make it to the conference because I was still uh, homebound uh, after my surgery. But I was really kind of jealous uh, seeing everybody ping on Twitter and talking. And I was like, what I would give to be in a room to talk to all these people who, like me, know what a big deal this is and what it means would be lovely. And I just sat at home and was watching you tweet about <laughs> down it. But thankfully, you bring some of the atmosphere here on the podcast to me. Thank you. And then... 
After Shannon, I uh, pulled again to one side in this really busy uh, corridor, Leila Sadat, who's actually a special advisor to the uh, ICC Prosecutor on Crimes Against Humanity. She's also a professor at St. Louis, Missouri, um, but she was speaking in that capacity, not in the capacity as the uh, advisor to the prosecutor. And directly after her, you also hear from Akila Radhakrishnan, the president of the Global Justice Centre. Okay, strategy. Do you think that this was a good strategy by the prosecutor? I think it was absolutely brilliant, actually. The more I thought about it, I was surprised when I saw the warrants, and I quickly read them, as did everybody else, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think there are two things. One, it was it was rolled out in a way that was very serious, very thoughtful. There was no chest-thumping here. Uh, Judge Hofmansky's recorded video is very sober. When you read the charges that were selected, they selected grave breaches, right? Deportation and transfer of children. They selected crimes that are just about per se crimes. You're not going to have to prove intent. They selected crimes that are about a population that has indeed been deeply damaged by this war, which is children, one of the most vulnerable populations in war ever. Uh, It really shows the prosecutor's commitment, I think, to women and children. And in this case, it was the children. There was also public evidence here. The Russians made no they didn't hide what they were doing. They actually claimed, and apparently the Russian minister who was indicted is now publicly saying, thanks for recognizing my great work. Their story is they were protecting the children. Um, the law says you can't remove children in this way, in addition, treating them inhumanely, et cetera, separating from their family, no family notification. It, it, the, the thing that I think is really brilliant about this particular charge, these two war crimes, they didn't go after genocide, which would have been extremely difficult to show. They didn't go after even crimes against humanity, which is a very high threshold at the ICC because of the context elements. And what about the specific individuals? Individual number one. (laughs) Individual number one. Um, That was brave. It was really courageous because one knows that Vladimir Putin will not be arrested anytime soon. Neither will probably individual number two in this particular situation uh, because they're not going to leave Moscow. Um, Although... Putin could travel to China with relative impunity. That said, always looking over the shoulder and always worrying about the indictment. My guess is that like Milosevic, like Karadzic, like Mladic, like the Nazis, like every other perpetrator of this level of criminality, and I do say that it, it is stark how criminal the operation has been, um, they believe they are immune. They just don't see anybody coming after them. They've wiped out pretty much opposition in their own country with Navalny sick and locked away. And I think there is a sense of absolute impunity that the Russian leadership has. And I doubt that this arrest warrant is going to change their self-image a lot. Uh, But ultimately, it means a lot in terms of sanctions. It means a lot in terms of a travel ban. So I think it was a courageous move. I think it was something the Ukrainians were desperately hoping for. Um, And I also think that referencing the crime of aggression 
in the terms of the warrant are, is another brilliant strategy by the prosecutor saying, look, we understand we can't try the crime of aggression in this situation, but we can reference it. It forms the backdrop and the context for all the other crimes. And if one thinks even if they get to the crimes against humanity charges, that crime against humanity in persecution, in connection with any other crime within the jurisdiction of the court. And that arguably makes the possibility of aggression coming in through the other crimes, through war crimes, through crimes against humanity. But even here where the prosecutor is just signaling, I see this is happening during an aggressive war. And I acknowledge that I think is sending a signal to the international community let the ICC handle this. We have the tools we need. We now, thanks to state contributions, have the resources we need, and we can do the job. I think it's hopefully a show of what the ICC can do. You know, I don't work on Ukraine, but I work with other affected communities, including where the ICC does have open investigations. The open investigation into Bangladesh and Myanmar has now muddled along for quite a bit of time and the communities are anxious for justice and they're anxious for justice against the senior leadership who and that you know who committed genocide against them even though even if those are not the specific crimes that maybe end up being charged here and it's the same senior leadership that has continued to commit crimes against them in the wake of a coup and so i think to think about what does this mean is it shows the strategic thinking of the court it also shows that the court is not afraid Um, And so I think what we're looking for here in terms of the ICC is how does this translate outside the context of Ukraine, where we've seen a lot of international mobilization, to the other context and situation in which the ICC can and should be acting. Isn't it rather disappointing in that sense that uh, other situations seem to be left behind? I think that's the story of the moment, um, you know, of the international community's action. I think Many populations around the world, Syria, Ethiopia, Myanmar, people do feel left out. But I think what we need to use this moment in Ukraine for is as inspiration for what's possible. You know, we've seen at the UN continually populations are told this isn't possible. This isn't possible. The Security Council, the GA can't do this. But in fact, what Ukraine has shown is that those arguments are all about political will And hopefully here, states think about and reflect on, the ICC thinks about and reflects on the fact that what is possible in the context of Ukraine should be possible in all situations. Okay, so lots uh, said there, lots of feel from, you know, a group of people who happened to be in The Hague at the time. Um, While we were preparing, Seth, you sent me this long list of really impossible questions of all the things that you want to find out. It was really difficult to actually get around to asking any of those. But I thought maybe we could share with the guests what you think are some of the issues that you're going to be pursuing and maybe what you think is still going to be relevant as we carry on sort of dealing with the subject over the, the next year. What's your first next question? Well, the first thing that stood out to me is this is just uh, an arrest warrant for war crimes. They didn't go for crimes against humanity or genocide. And we we know that deportation of children or forcible transfer of children is specifically mentioned as one of the crimes in the genocide convention. So you could see that they might try that as well. I think we are looking at, is the ICC going to expand this? Uh, That's what happened with uh, the arrest warrant of Omar al-Bashir. Initially, there was an arrest warrant for war crimes, and later he had an arrest warrant reissued for 
uh, genocide. And so maybe that's something that's going to happen. One thing that I've um, been monitoring uh, is the debate that has already started up on immunity. And I've been uh, talking to a few people about it. If I understand this correctly, I'm sure you'll you'll correct me if I've got it got it wrong. The ICC has ruled that it can go after a, a head of state, but there are still some scholars who say that if a country is not actually a member of the ICC, then there's no obligation to cooperate. Absolutely. There's some scholars that argue that and they point out that the decision where the ICC ruled that they can go after a head of state uh, was in the al-Bashir case where they specifically referred to the UN Security Council resolution, which referred the case to the ICC. And that then uh, was enough to lift immunity. So then the argument is, is that Ukraine is not a referral from the UN Security Council, because obviously Russia is in the Security Council and wouldn't refer it. And this is just uh, a member state assigning, referring this situation, because Ukraine is not even a member, but because they have the statement that the court has jurisdiction, it has jurisdiction. So so there there are people who point out that this is going to be a big debate, whether the immunity, whether that works for Putin. There's also the very ambivalent role of the US who says that they think that the arrest warrant is good, uh, but they don't that they don't really support it because they don't think that the ICC should have jurisdiction over a member over uh, nationals of non-member states. So it's also going to be interesting to see how the US is going to um so it's going to be really interesting to see how the US manages to kind of balance those two balls of saying, yes, we love it, but no, we're not going to to support it um, yeah. because it could backfire on us in the end. Absolutely. The other thing that I noted is that I think there's also some Office of the Prosecutor politics involved uh, by Khan, uh, because by issuing now an arrest warrant for Putin, he is kind of uh, legally called dibs on the president. And so what does that mean for the aggression tribunal? What's the point if if you have, if there is ever a situation where, where Putin would be transferred to The Hague, like would you, who then has precedent? Is it the ICC who has the first arrest warrant? Would it be an aggression tribunal? You know, there was this whole thing of that he couldn't, maybe it would be difficult for the ICC to get him on chain of command uh, things because you need linkage and you need to show that he had this evidence. However, if you treat this forcible transfer as a war crime, and you have the fact that he signed the law that Ukrainian orphans could be easy, more easily adopted than he as the country leader. Maybe then you don't need that linkage evidence so much. So, so there's all kinds of things that that uh, link into it. You, on the one hand, you know, war crimes are not necessarily considered lesser crimes, but they usually carry slightly lesser sentences, less complex than crimes against humanity or genocide. But then there, the you know, you don't have to prove the intent that you have to prove in genocide, and you don't have to prove the widespread and systematic nature of it. You just have to prove that it happened in a conflict. So, it seems then a very, a, maybe a rather more straightforward case than than we thought. So, so that's going to be very interesting to see how that develops. I was also very struck by the way that children are at the centre of this, and we know that the uh, office, of the prosecutor is consulting on uh, crimes against children and a new policy on that. And you really felt this is like putting it into action already. So I was, I was interested by that. And the other thing I noted just um, I read recently, this particular crime may not just go back to last year to after the invasion, most recent invasion, but 
there are allegations that children have been deported much earlier from occupied territories. I don't know whether you'd come across that. So I'm wondering whether the time frame might kind of shift backwards of these charges. Could be. I think that I've heard uh, Ukrainian uh, NGOs say that and that, that there were similar allegations from children's homes in, in Donbass region and occupied region before. So maybe that's also something they were already looking at, which is why they now have this kind of oven ready case to serve up fairly quickly for the ICC. This is a very, really rapid arrest warrant. So yeah, those are all, all things to keep, a, keep an eye on. Oh, well, it keeps us in business, as we keep on saying for a while. Uh, so a short update for us, emergency klaxon sort of halfway there. And I just want to say thanks to the uh, IBA War Crimes Committee people for letting me uh, have a, a bit of access and to drag people to one side. And I, it was great, Stephanie, you should have been there because I met so many different people who said they were listening to the podcast and really enjoying it. People who I've, I've never come across um, before. Thank you so much to all of those listeners. I hope they enjoyed the stickers that I gave to them. And I kept on encouraging people and just encourage people out loud again now do let us know if there are particular subjects you want us to cover because, uh, you know, we make it up by ourselves every every week. So we're always interested to, to get some input from our community. Yeah, and just also a reminder of that, uh, Janet and I uh, don't get paid for the show except for some money that goes to equipment and maintaining the website and everything. And we don't mind doing it for free, but we really do want to pay our producer. And one way you can help us do this is if you support us on Patreon, where you can, for as little as a few dollars or euros a month, you be, can become our patron. And if you pay a little more, you also have access to our special uh, Patreon edition of our War Criminals Book Club, where Janet and me and Molly Quell read uh, books about war criminals, sometimes books by war criminals or war crimes, and we talk about these books. Yeah, well, just to say this particular podcast, this one is being sponsored by um, uh, justiceinfo.net. So we're always ha happy to have that little bit of money, to, as you say, to pay for, for equipment. And if you are interested in listening to our War Criminals Book Club, we've got a doozy this this month because we have a really, how can I put it, a book that we all hated Let's put it like that. A book yes. that we all found. I mean, it had some of the worst sex scenes in it, oh, God. some of the worst legal argumentation in it, some of the worst things. So, you know, you, you can't even say how bad it is, can you, Steph? It, it's, it's the whole book made me wonder, has this writer ever met other human beings? Have they been in a, like a relationship with somebody? How, how can you like operate as a person in the world and then write this? Uh, as a way that people communicate with each other or have relationships. It was nuts. So please uh, join in uh, our Patreon if you'd like to and uh, listen to uh, our, our book club. And uh, in the meantime, we'll carry on watching this case. Yeah. Also, one more thing that if you don't want to pay us every month, you can also just give us some money. We have a tip jar on the website where we're happy with anything that you can give. And it all goes to Margarita, our lovely producer. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast, created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. This episode was produced in partnership with justiceinfo.net, an independent site covering justice effort for mass violence. Music is by audionautics.com, and you can find show notes and everything about the podcast on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. 
This show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.